0: Hello, once again, this is Dr. Phil Fernandez, the founder of the Institute of Biblical Defense and the academic dean of Farriston Theological Seminary. Today's lecture is Old Testament reliability. Old Testament reliability. It's apologetics lecture number five. Apologetics lecture number five, Old Testament reliability. Now, before we get started on Old Testament reliability, Let me state what I am not trying to prove right now. Whenever I talk Old Testament reliability or New Testament reliability, I am not trying to prove that the Old and New Testaments are God's Word. That is something we're going to do a lot later in our course on apologetics. Right now, but when I talk about Old Testament reliability, and in the next lecture when I talk about New Testament reliability, I am just trying to assert the fact that the Old Testament and the New Testament are reliable documents uh, that were actually written by the authors uh, whom we have traditionally believed wrote them. In other words, the Gospel accounts were written by eyewitnesses who knew Jesus Christ. They were written by men with apostolic authority. Whether they were telling the truth or not, uh, we're going to see that uh, a lot of the things that are questioned by the uh, liberal school of thought, uh, a lot of the things that are questioned are in fact historically reliable. So when we say Old Testament reliability, we're saying that, that the Old and New Testament are not legends, they are historically reliable documents. The first five books of the Bible were written by Genesis, and they are historically accurate. Now, later on, we're going to argue that the Old and New Testament are God's Word. At this point, we're just trying to show they're historically reliable documents. They're not fairy tales or legends made up hundreds or thousands of years after they were supposedly written. With that, let's get started on Old Testament reliability. And the first thing I'd like to mention, just briefly, is some of the Old Testament manuscripts that we use, uh, that we translate into English to get our present uh, Bibles. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and we have two main... Hebrew Old Testament manuscripts that we get our text, our present translations from, and that is the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text is the contains the entire Old Testament, and it's the standard Hebrew text today. The Masoretic text, and that dates back to about 1010 10 A.D. Now, when you look at how long ago the Old Testament was supposedly written, you know, about 1,450 years before Christ. So you're looking at uh, some 2,500 years after the fact when you come to the Masoretic text. Uh, Yet the Masoretic text is very reliable because the Hebrew scholars, when they made copies of the old testament since they considered it to be god's word they would count every jot and every tittle would be like us counting the dotting of the i the crossing of the t and if it didn't come out perfect they would just tear it up and start all over again and uh they were very very meticulous in their copying of the text and they would consider a copy so much better than the original was that they would tear the originals up or burn them up destroy them out of reverence for them uh, recognizing that the new one has more authorities and is in better shape and the copy is identical. And so the Masoretic test, the ent- entire Old Testament, contains the entire Old Testament is a standard Hebrew text today, yet it only dates back to 1010 10 A.D. Because it only dates back to 1010 A.D., and despite the fact of the meticulous copying uh, procedures that the Jews exercised, Uh, Many people said, well, how do we know that it's reliable? But then in uh, in the 1940s, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls from the Dead Sea area, the the Qumran uh, community, found them in caves, and they date back, they're Hebrew Old Testament manuscripts, and they date back to 150 to 100 B.C., and that contains large portions of the Old Testament. And when we compare the Dead Sea Scrolls of of about 150 to 100 B.C., the Hebrew Dead Sea Scrolls of the Old Testament with the Masoretic Text of 1010 A.D., we find uh, that there's about a 99.5% agreement, There's tremendous agreement, and the only areas of disagreement are differences in spelling of a name or uh, grammatical error or, or whatever. And so what you end up with is a strong argument comparing the two to show how good the copying methods are. And we can see that the Old Testament that we have today is, for all intents intents and purposes, the same exact Old Testament that Christ had during his day and age. Now, we also have the Septuagint, the Septuagint, which is not a Hebrew Old Testament manuscript. Instead, the Septuagint, which was... Uh, drawn up between 250 and 150 BC, so it even predates the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And they pretty much make our Biggest uh, manuscript groups of the Old Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Masoretic Text, and the Greek Septuagint. But now let's discuss Old Testament reliability. Old Testament reliability. Brief introduction we need to define some of our terms before we get started. We need to define some of our terms. First, lower criticism. Lower criticism. What is lower criticism? Lower criticism is the restoring... restoring the original text... on the basis of imperfect copies. Lower criticism is the restoring of the original text on the basis of imperfect copies. It's what we call textual criticism. This is very, very justified. We have every right to do this. Because certain copies disagree with other copies we need to do some textual or lower criticism to form the basis of our criticism of the scriptures, and to decide which manuscripts actually represent the original and which do not, so that we can ascertain what exactly goes into what uh, Greek is or uh, what Hebrew uh, passage are we going to decide on as being more accurate and more reliable when we translate it into the English in our Bible. So lower criticism, the restoring, the original text on the basis of imperfect copies, textual criticism, uh, and we need to do this. Now, the questionable type of criticism is higher criticism, higher criticism. This is where we seek to find the authorship, the date, and the integrity of each individual book. Let I me mean, repeat that, higher criticism, we seek to ascertain the authorship, date, and integrity of each of the individual books. Now, that's fine if there's a book that's kind of vague, like uh, like Job. Well, who wrote Job? Uh, what date do we give to it? Uh, but the problem is, when we start questioning the integrity of each book, what we're actually doing is... Uh, we're saying, well, is this really God's word or not? Or or is this really reliable or is it a myth? And with that type of criticism, we need to reject the Bible as God's word to really get into that. Or to question a book that is clearly shown to be a book written by Moses, such as Exodus. To question that Moses is the author, and to question the date of that writing, and to question the integrity of that book, is to just purely reject what the bible states about itself so higher criticism 90 percent of the time uh people are treating the bible as if it's just a human book and they're uh, refusing to acknowledge it as god's word and so though christians can partake in lower criticism only very within strict boundaries and uh uh very infrequently can christians partake in higher criticism Remember, lower forms the base, restoring the original text. Higher criticism builds upon that, tries to decide the authorship, date, and integrity of each book. And if we're not going to accept what the Bible says about itself, uh, then higher criticism can have a, its own free reign, and just destroy the Bible and throw all histo- historical evidence right out the window. Okay, next, next, we need to define documentary hypothesis. Documentary hypothesis. Documentary Hypothesis is the theory It's the theory that the Pentateuch The first five books of the Bible The theory that the Pentateuch was a compilation Of different written documents Composed by different authors At different places and times Long after Moses So the Documentary Hypothesis denies That Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible Documentary Hypothesis denies That the Bible is God's word and what the documentary hypothesis does, it's the theory that the Pentateuch was a compilation of different written documents composed by different authors at different places and times long after Moses. We're going to discuss the documentary hypothesis. Then there's foreign criticism. Foreign criticism. Foreign criticism seeks to find the supposed oral traditions that lay behind the written documents now this method is extremely subjective no real objective evidence but the form uh, critics seek to find the supposed oral traditions the word-of-mouth stories that supposedly lay behind the written documents and the method is extremely subjective that's form criticism And then finally, the common liberal bias. By liberal, I mean those who do not interpret the, take the scriptures at face value as God's word. Instead, they uh, complain that it's not really God's word or they redefine what they mean by God's word. So I use the word liberal very loosely. Uh, Even neo-orthodox scholars I would classify in this liberal class here. The common liberal bias is atheistic evolution. Common liberal bias, atheistic evolution, that no God exists and that we got here through evolution. Therefore, divine revelation, revelation by God, and miracles such as predictive prophecy are automatically ruled out before any evidence is examined. So, because of the common liberal bias, atheistic evolution, uh, divine revelation and miracles such as predicted prophecy, they're automatically ruled out before an examination of the evidence is even made. So it's not like they're going to look for evidence to see if this miracle occurred or not. They assume, well, it's impossible for it to have occurred. It didn't occur. Therefore, how did this? where did this story come from? They also have the assumption that the first religion uh, of man was polytheism, the worship of many gods, and it evolved later on into monotheism, Whereas, the evidence is now coming up that even primitive tribes that still practice polytheism openly admit uh, that their first religion of their ancestors was belief in one God, one Creator God who created the lesser gods, but they no longer remember how to worship Him. So in other words, monotheism uh, corrupted itself into polytheism rather than polytheism uh, evolved into monotheism. But atheistic evolution is the common common liberal bias. Now, Old Testament reliability is a very long, long subject. Thirty-nine books in the Old Testament, so what I'd like to do rather than talk about each and every individual book, I'd like to talk about The Documentary Hypothesis, which talks about the first five books of the Bible, questions the authorship there, and we're going to see that the first five books of the Bible are historically reliable, and they were written by Moses, contrary to what the Documentary uh, Hypothesis people believe. And then we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. And this could be done, so that's six books of the 39 this could be done for the other 33 books of the Old Testament as well. Uh, however, in one lecture we're not going to be able to do that. So let's take a look at the documentary hypothesis which teaches that there are different authors of the Pentateuch. A brief history. You won't need to jot down any names. You won't need to jot down anything. I just want to give you a brief history for you to keep in your mind. Brief history of documentary hypothesis. Gene Awestruck in 1753 he began to give different, he began to uh, teach that different divine names point to different sources, such as uh, Elohim is used in Genesis 1-1, and then Jehovah is used in Genesis chapter 2. So he began to say, well, when a different name is used, it refers to a different written source, in other words, a different author. So Gene Ostruck uh, apparently believed that the uh, Old Testament people were so dumb that they couldn't use two names, two different names for the same God. Then Wilhelm M. L. Dewitt, he began uh, from that point. He picked it up where that gentleman left off and said that Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, was written at the start of Josiah's reformation started Josiah's Reformation in 621 B.C. to unify the worship of the Jews. So he's saying it was written uh, about 900 years after after uh, Moses had lived. So he's saying it was written way later just to unify worship of the Jews. And how DeWitt said this in 1806. So you see each guy is hammering another nail into the coffin of uh of the christian church he's just just battering the church the church is becoming more and more dead with this kind of garbage that they're heaping upon people Herman, uh... Herman upheld in eighteen fifty three he began to look at the elohim now you had an elohim document a jehovah document uh... and then the uh... Jo- uh the deuteronomy uh... uh document, the uh, 621 B.C. document, he began to look at the Elohim document, and he divided the Elohim document into E1 and E2. Now, one part of these later became the Priestly Code, uh, but you felt was in 1853. Half of the E document later on became the Priestly Code. Now, Abraham Cuner... In 1869, he gave us the the J-E-D-P order. In other words, the Jehovah document, the Elohim document, the Deuteronomy document, and the Priestly Code document. That's J-E-D-P. The Jehovah document, this is important here, the Jehovah document, the Elohim document, the Deuteronomy document, and the Priestly Code document, and he said they came in that order where the Jehovah document written first, the Elohim document written next, the Deuteronomy document written next, and the Priestly Code written next. Now, Cuner came up with that in 1869. And then Julius Wellhausen, he's the most famous person uh, of the documentary hypothesis theory. Julius Wellhausen, he supported the JEDP order with his evolutionary view of religion, uh, which was animism, which is the the worship of nature. Animism evolved into polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. Evolved into monolatry, where one god is set above the other gods, which evolved into monotheism is what he taught. That was in 1878. So Julius Wellhausen was very famous for kind of a, a final conclusion of the uh, documentary hypothesis. And the final conclusion is j- this, and you need to jot this down. This is vital. Uh, just jot one under the other, one, two, three, four. And on the first line put J, uh, which is Jehovah. You need to know that J stands for Jehovah. The Jehovah document, every time the name Jehovah is mentioned, that's supposed to be one uh, document that was written by one author. And that was supposedly written in 850 B.C. So you're looking at about 600 years after Moses. The E document, number two, the E document is Elohim. Every time that name of God is used, you have a different author, supposedly. You know, according to these guys, uh, if they had a manuscript of just what I've taught so far, you'd probably have about 12 different speakers. Uh, But E, Elohim, that source was supposedly written in 750 B.C. Then under Josiah's reform, you have number three, the Deuteronomy document, was 621 B.C., And then number four, the P, the priestly code was written uh, between 300 and 200 BC. And so now this is all the first five books of the Bible which were traditionally accredited to the hand of Moses. And now all of a sudden these guys are saying that the thing wasn't even completed until 200 years before Christ. Well, the first five books were written between 850 BC and 200 BC by at least four different authors. And now, what we're going to attempt to do is spend a decent amount of time refuting the documentary hypothesis. We're going to attempt to refute the documentary hypothesis. Number one, the 20th century scholarship, 20th century scholarship repudiates this view. In other words, our scholars today no longer hold to the documentary hypothesis. However, it's very ironic, but they turn to more liberal speculation. Rather than admitting, hey, we blew it, Moses did write the first five books of the Bible, they turn to more liberal speculation and usually add more and more authors. So God only knows how many authors that some of these guys are saying now. Number two, they use circular reasoning. Circular reasoning is when you assume something to be true as part of your argument so that your conclusion is the same as one of the things that you assumed. In other words, in an argument you usually have a couple premises and then a conclusion. Well, if the conclusion is the same as one of the premises that you assumed, you didn't prove anything see what they do is they use circular reasoning by assuming that revelation that divine revelation is impossible they assume divine revelation is impossible in order to prove that the bible is a human book so well, how do you know the bible is not god's word so, well we proved that moses didn't write the first five books of the bible and those miracles didn't occur well how did you prove that Well. uh, Obviously, the miracles couldn't occur, so uh, this stuff couldn't be true. So it had to be written later on, legends later on, stuff. You see, they're assuming what they're supposed to be proving. That's circular reasoning. Number three, they always explain away opposing evidence with hypothetical, with a hypothetical editor. In other words, what do you do when a passage uses both Jehovah and Elohim together? Well, of course, what you do is you add another guy, an editor, who combined the Jehovah manuscripts and the Elohim manuscripts. You see, so whenever there's any kind of difference at all, they say, see, that proves there's different authors. And then you say, yeah, but what about all the unity? Then they say, well, that proves that there's another guy who came along and edited it and put it all together. Or isn't it just safer to assume that it was just written by one guy in the first place? So they explain away opposing evidence with a hypothetical editor. Number four, they teach that only Hebrews couldn't use more than one name for God. They teach that only the Hebrews couldn't use more than one name for God. You see, because during the same time, even predating Moses, the Babylonians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Ugarites also used more than one name for their primary deity. For their primary God, they used more than one name for him. Why couldn't the Jews? Why do all of a sudden the Jews have to be so unintelligent according to these scholars that they could only use one name for God and if somebody else, if there was another name thrown in, it had to be by a different author. Even the Muslim Quran, the Muslim Quran, the holy book of the Muslims in 600 A.D., Even they used more than one name for Allah, for their primary God. Point number five, they assume that secular history is always right when it differs with the biblical account. I mean, some of these secular historians are telling fairy tales, and it's obvious they're telling fairy tales. Uh, No evidence to back it up. Real sloppily written. You know, the paragraph before he tells something that even the... Atheists do not believe, yet they'll accept that as being truth rather than accepting the biblical account as being true. Another problem of documentary hypotheses, number six, they assume the Hebrew religion evolved into monotheism. They assume that the Hebrew religion evolved into monotheism. What they need to look at is the fact That of all the ancient nations, only the Israeli ancient only the ancient nation of Israel had a true monotheistic faith. When you go back that far, nobody else had a monotheistic faith. Everybody else was polytheistic. So to assume that the Hebrew religion evolved into monotheism is false. Instead, the Hebrew religion. Corrupted and perverted itself into polytheism at times, and then God's judgment came. But the Israeli nation, the nation of Israel, had a true monotheistic faith far back in the past. This can easily be shown. Now, point number seven, they take passages out of context to prove contradictions in the Old Testament and the first five books of the Bible, yet they accept absolutely no solutions. Even if there's a possible solution, they'll reject it. Number eight, they reject evidence for much Semitic repetition in literature by one author. They reject evidence for much Semitic repetition in literature by one author. For instance, Genesis 1 gives the creation account and only spends two verses on the creation of man. Genesis 2 gives the creation account, but it focuses more on the creation of man. Uh, In Semitic literature, and remember the Jews are, are of the Semitic race, uh often they will say something twice just say it a little different the second time well the gentlemen of the documentary hypothesis view they state that hey uh if there's two different accounts of creation then it's got to be two different authors so they reject evidence for much semitic repetition in literature by one author that was the style of semitic writers number nine they assume they can scientifically reconstruct the text Three thousand years after the fact. They assume they can scientifically reconstruct the text three thousand years after the fact. They think they're smart enough to tell that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, wasn't completed until 200 years before Christ, even though the the guys who were doing the translation of the uh, Septuagint uh, around that time didn't even know that this thing was written during their generation. Uh, these guys, 3,000 years after the fact, they're going to tell them, set them straight. Now what I'd like to discuss here, I'm just finishing up on documentary hypothesis, is some of the evidences, and there's much more that I'm going to give you, but some of the evidences for the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. Some of the evidences for the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible in 1445 B.C. 1445 B.C. Not in 850 B.C., not in 750 B.C., not in 621 B.C., and not between 300 and 200 B.C. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible in 1445 B.C. Some of the evidences include, number one, the unity of the first five books.
1: The unity
0: of the first five books. They form a united whole. Number two, The Pentateuch itself, first five books of the Bible itself, the old refer the Old Testament and the New Testament all refer to Moses as the author, and so that goes back two thousand years ago. uh, The experts were saying that Moses was the author. The Jews were saying about their own own sacred book that Moses wrote it. Number three. We have tremendous, uh, many multitudes of eyewitness details in the Pentateuch. Now, how are you going to have eyewitness details of these events if it's written over a thousand years after the fact? Number four, and this is important, the author of the first five books of the Bible is acquainted with Egypt. He knows Egypt very well but he's unfamiliar with the land of Canaan. He's acquainted with Egypt, but he's unfamiliar with the land of Canaan. And we know Moses grew up in Egypt, but he never did go into the Promised Land. He just saw it from the mountain when he died. Number five, you have a desert, desert atmosphere and a desert point of view. You have a wandering nomadic people on the move. You have that atmosphere and attitude and point of view which you're not going to get during the dates. Uh, when the documentary hypothesis people say uh, these things were written. The customs that are included, history has proven over and over again that the customs that are, are in there are second millennium B.C. customs. In other words, the customs, the way people behaved, the way they did things, was the way it was done during the time of Moses, not during the time when these things were supposedly written years later, according to those of the documentary hypothesis Persuasion. The first five books of the Bible, number seven, the first five books of the Bible, contain a greater percentage of Egyptian words than the rest of the Old Testament. A greater percentage of Egyptian words than the rest of the Old Testament, which is what you you would expect from someone like Moses, who was trained in Egypt. Also, Moses' qualifications uh, show that he was the author. His education in Egypt, he was well-trained in writing, his knowledge of Egypt, his knowledge of Sinai, uh, the wilderness of Sinai. Moses' qualifications would point to him as the author. Point number nine, the different divine names are just simply used for different contexts. Different divine names are used for different contexts. Elohim is usually used when when it's talking about the God of creation or God's power. But Jehovah is used uh, when Moses is writing about God in terms of his covenant, his agreement with the Jewish people, and his relationship. With the Jewish people, it's a special name he gave of, for himself for the Jewish people. So different divine names are used for different contexts. Number ten, uh, the variation in diction and style. The variation in diction and style can be explained uh, by several by several reasons. Number one, different types of literature. For instance, you're going to write Moses, any author, the same author's going to write a little different style when he writes a genealogy. This guy gave birth to this guy who gave birth to this guy who gave birth to this guy. That's going to be different than a biography. the life story of a guy like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. And that's going to be different than the uh, uh, literature given a whole historical account of some event. So the different styles there and the different vocabulary being used, it could still be the same author he just get talking about a different type of literature. Also, the author uh, varied the text to prevent monotony. I mean, it gets real monotonous if you're not... A good author is going to vary the text so that it flows and so that there's some variation, so that it's not the same monotonous thing over and over again. Yet, these guys are going to try to say, well, it's got to be more than one author, because there's differences there. And then number three, under this variation in fiction style, the parallel accounts were poetic style. When you've got the creation account given in chapter one, and then a different perspective on the same creation account in Genesis chapter two, it's just parallel accounts. That was the poetic style of the Jews not different authors two different accounts by different authors number eleven in the evidences for mosaic authorship the biblical evidence shows the jewish faith was originally monotheistic and that the jews later became idolatrous in fact you know these guys are saying that around the time of uh uh, Josiah during his reformation and stuff they're trying to get the Jews to begin to worship one God and this and that and blah blah blah. We well, got prophets written already that during that time telling the Jews to return to their monotheistic faith. They're not, they're not asking people to come up with a new monotheistic faith, they're saying return to it. Biblical evidence shows that the Jewish faith was originally monotheistic but the Jews later became idolatrous. Number twelve, the study of ancient religions shows that primitive peoples had technical sacrificial language. So when the Jews in like uh, Leviticus, when Moses wrote about all these different sacrifices and all these different technical sacrificial language and terminology, the study of ancient religion shows that primitive peoples had technical sacrificial language. Number thirteen, They used to say, well, Moses couldn't have written it because writing hadn't been invented yet. So they said writing didn't exist during Moses' time. However, the evidence now shows that writing existed even before Moses' time. Uh, Rosh Shamra literature dates back to 1500 B.C. right during the time of Moses. Writing existed during Moses' time. A lot of what went into this documentary hypothesis view, history has refuted now, now that over a hundred years has passed. Number fourteen, archaeological finds confirm the Pentateuch. Archaeological finds confirm the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Historians used to laugh and say there was no city called Ur. Well now they've uncovered the city of Ur. They've also uncovered Shechem and Bethel, They used to laugh and say, well, there there was no such people as the Hittites that are mentioned in Genesis. Well, now they found the Hittite legal code. They also used to stop and say that camels weren't used back then. Then they found drawings uh, uh, drawings on utensils and things like that of camels being ridden and camels being used. So the archaeological finds tend to confirm the Pentateuch rather than contradict it. They said that mosaic, the mosaic laws, point number fifteen. Said, oh no, the mosaic laws—it's it's too technical, it's too mature of a law code to have existed that far back, about 1500 BC. Yet now they have discovered the code of Hammurabi, the code of Hammurabi, a legal code that date, dates back to 1800 BC. So the code of Hammurabi dates back to 1800 B.C. is similar to the Mosaic laws. So if they could have done it 300 years earlier, surely under divine inspiration, Moses would have been able to do even a better job just 300 years later. They doubted that Joshua and the conquest of the Promised Land, but point number 16 shows, and this goes into the sixth book of the Bible, Joshua and the conquest of the Promised Land, the Amarna Tablets, the Amarna Tablets, which is basically a report from Canaan, from the Canaanite kings, a report from Palestine to Egypt about the Haperu, Haperu invaders. It dates back between 1400 and 1350 BC. And by the way, the Haperu, many scholars believe that the word Hebrew comes from it. And remember, not all Hebrews, Hebrew means those from across the river, those from across the, the uh, Jordan River, Not all Hebrews are Jews, but all Jews are Hebrews. And uh, so the Haparu invaders, most of them would be the the Israelites invading the Promised Land. Some of them would not be. And it shows the different kings reporting to Egypt that they need help. Uh, Point number 17, numbers is similar to the 1800 B.C. Mary text that have census lists. Written in them. In other words, the census taken, the way they numbered the people and all. It's similar to the practice in the Mary text, the list uh, of the census, the the, uh, numbering of the people that they did in 1800 BC. And Deuteronomy, point number 18, Deuteronomy is the same format as the Hittite uh, suzerainty treaty. The latter half of the second millennium. What it has is you have a treaty between the king and the people. And in Deuteronomy, uh, the king, the God of Israel, and the Jewish people are renewing their covenant. They're making their treaty, saying, yes, we will obey your laws in the second giving of the law. And point number 19, point number 19 the Jews accept, accepted the law as Mosaic in 621 B.C. Now, it's hard to believe that any large portion had just been written during Josiah's reform. So during Josiah's reform, the Jews accepted the law as being a Mosaic law. It's hard to believe that it had just been forged uh, in their generation, a large portion of it. So the Jews accepted the law as Mosaic in 621 B.C., and it's hard to believe that any large portion had just been written under Josiah's reform. So what have we looked at so far? We refuted the documentary hypotheses show that the evidence is against it, and we gave positive evidence for the Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. Now we only have about five minutes, and we're going to try to discuss the Book of Daniel. The Book of Daniel. What is the liberal view? The liberal view is that the Book of Daniel was written about 165 B.C. Written about 165 B.C., uh, the purpose was to encourage resistance Uh, to to resist Antiochus Epiphanes to resist Antiochus Epiphanes one of the Greek rulers and the reason why they dated about 165 B.C. is because the critics refused to accept predictive prophecy they said well he couldn't have been predicting the future he was pretending he was predicting the future but he wrote after the prophecies were already fulfilled so they attempt to date Daniel after the events already occurred that's important the liberal view is that Daniel was written about 165 BC because they attempt to date Daniel after the events that were predicted already occurred. They said this this fake wasn't predicting the future by God's power. instead he was writing what already occurred after the event occurred. because again, they don't believe that God could write a book. The conservative view is that the book was completed by about five thirty BC. Uh, during the time of the Medes and the Persians when they had taken over the Babylonian Empire. Daniel lived during the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian rule, the Babylonian and Medo-Persian rule over Judah. Babylonians took over the Israel in 606 B.C. and 586 B.C. they destroyed the temple and the Medo-Persians took over from 536 B.C. So the book was completed about 530 B.C. by Daniel. Now what does the evidence say? The uh, archaeological the evidence shows that archaeological confr- there is archaeological confirmation of historical characters in the book of Daniel. For instance, King Belshazzar, that was rejected, but now the cuneiform tablet shows that he was the king during that time. Darius the Mede, uh, we found that Gubaru, Gubaru was in fact Darius the Mede, and Darius is just a title like the word Caesar. It probably came from... uh, uh, Caesar might have come from it, in fact. Uh, Three Greek words are found in Daniel, so they say, well, it must have been written under the Greek Empire about 165 B.C. But these three Greek words are all words for musical instruments, and remember, Greeks were in Palestine. Uh, The Greeks were in the Palestine area doing trade years before the Greeks ever took over the Roman Empire, and Daniel might have jotted down the instruments there. Daniel uses uh, early Aramaic language which would have been consistent with his time frame, 530 BC. Daniel's theology does not prove a late date. He, He talks about angels, resurrection, and the Kingdom of God, but you've got those things being written about even earlier, like even in the book of Job, which is probably the oldest book in the Bible. Daniel's predictions, this is important, some of them are fulfilled after 165 BC. So even if you agree with the liberals that it was written about 165 BC, they can't go any further, any later than that because you've got the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, but yet some of the predictions have been fu- fulfilled after it, such as the predictions of the four kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, you have the Babylonian Empire predicted and the Medo-Persian Empire predicted, that happened during Daniel's life. But then you have the Greek Empire predicted,
1: but also
0: the Fourth Kingdom, the Roman Empire predicted, and that didn't happen in 63 B.C. And we know, as a matter of fact, that the latest that Daniel could have been written was 165 B.C., so even the liberals would have to admit that uh, the prophecies uh, came true, predictions came true, and therefore there's no reason to push it to 165 B.C., go with the evidence and accept the fact that Daniel was written in 530 B.C. Also, the messianic prophecies, the prophecies of the Messiah, especially Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, that these prophecies show that the Messiah would be cut off, would be executed about 33 A.D., before the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. So Daniel's predictions, some of the predictions were fulfilled after 165 B.C., which means there's no reason to reject it on those accounts, and therefore the conclusion is the evidence supports the 530 B.C. date for Daniel. Even the 165 B.C. date would have to admit major fulfillment of prophecies. And so there's no reason to doubt the 530 B.C. date since all the evidence, all the available evidence points to that as the date. The traditional date is true. What we found for the first five books of the Bible, plus even Joshua, that's six, and then Daniel number seven we could also find for the other 32 books of the Bible. I encourage you to study that. You will find that the Old Testament is as reliable as ancient literature can be. It's a reliable historical document, and we're going to move on in our defense of the faith uh, from here. Thank you, and God bless you.